This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to this special episode of Pop Culture Confidential, a conversation with the great Brian Cox. So I was recently invited to interview Mr. Cox on the occasion of HBO Max Nordic's premiere of the last season of Succession in front of a live audience in Stockholm, Sweden. We had a blast. We dived deep into Succession, the genius creation of showrunner Jesse Armstrong, Adam McKay, and so many other talents. Mr. Cox shares his own theories on the now iconic TV character of Logan Roy, how he relates to and even empathizes with him. We talk about his own background, which he calls his superpower, and in several ways mirrors Logan Roy's about the Roy children, his castmates saying goodbye, and so much more. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Brian Cox, recorded on March 27th, 2023. Thank you. Mr. Cox, welcome. We are so excited to have you, but it's quite a bittersweet moment for us. For you as well? Why? Because we're going to see you go, and we don't want that. Oh, well. All things end. Mr. Cox, you have more than 230 credits to your name. Oh, God. Iconic roles. King Lear, Lecter, Churchill. But together, you have created this character that's already gone down in TV history. We name in the same vernacular as Tony Soprano. We have Logan Roy. And he was supposed to die in season one. Well, uh, the, the rumor was he was supposed to die. They, I mean, if you know the writers, they'd never made up their mind about that. So uh, I, it, was, uh, it was, they thought about it, but actually it wasn't really the case. I mean, I brought that up to them. I said, so I'm supposed to die at the end. I mean, and I was quite happy. I mean, I, I, I just thought it was, if it was my manager, because they, they always get it wrong. Your agents and managers, they always get it wrong. And they said, oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's only a one-season role. I said, oh, it's fine, that's okay. So I just happened to say, so it's only a one-season part. Too. I was on the phone to Adam McKay, who was our exec producer. He was in L.A., and... Uh, uh, Jesse Armstrong was in Italy, and I, I said, this, so it's only one season part, and there was a big pause, and suddenly both of them went, oh, no, 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 it's more than one season. Okay, well, either way, um, he's alive, scheming as ever, and to paraphrase Logan Roy, you fucking won. Uh, yes, <laughs> at a cost. Okay, you've said, I have a sneaking affection for Logan. I think he's a misunderstood man. Yeah. How have we misunderstood him? Because... Uh, it's hard because they they make the audiences see him in a certain way, <coughs> excuse me, and then they make natural assumptions, which is understandable. But he's he's not. I I I always think they get it wrong. There's there's a there's a scene at at the end of season three, and they all they just don't understand what the scene is. I come to see um, Kendall, and it's a sort of before we get into the denouement of the, um, where I take the, I ask my wife and do all the deal and freeze the kids out. But the scene is we meet, and he hands me a plate of, we, the, 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 the server hands a plate of food to me. And, and he said, oh, 
he says, oh, that's not for him. That's for him, me. So the food goes back to him. Now, what actually he's doing is he's actually going, Logan's saying, what, what is he doing? Oh, I see what he's doing. He's thinking that I'm thinking he's trying to poison me. Well, I know he's not trying to poison me. Well, that's me. when he asked the grandson to taste it. We well, were very the, worried. The, no, that's the point. You're missing the point. Jesus, everybody gets it wrong. Uh, <laughs> no, you got it wrong as well. Uh, the point is, he knows. He says, oh, I see. You want me to think that you're poisoning me. Okay, I'm going to take your improvisation one step further. I'm going to call on my grandson. And I say, why don't you test the food for me? I have no intention of poisoning my grandson. But I have every intention of showing that fucking idiot what a fucking idiot he is. <laughs> and that's what I do. That's the role. But what have you learned about Logan's anger? Well, I think we're all angry. I mean, I think human races, we're at a particularly angry point in our history. Um, especially what's going on and the same mistakes are being repeated again and again and again and again and again and again. And I think Logan is, Logan and I have a lot in common. We are both disappointed with the human experiment. We think human beings are fucked, well and truly fucked. My view is, I think they'll get better. I think they'll improve. I think there is, you know, I'm optimistic. Also, I'm a socialist, so I have socialist principles. He's got nothing. Logan is, he's become right wing through a series of whatever, disappointments. I think, he, I think originally he had, you know, he had high ideals and he lost them all. And, you know, and I think that's the difference. But he, he's, and he's, he's a misanthrope. Mm -hmm. He really doesn't like anybody. He's not, he's not happy. He's a very, very unhappy. And also he's a very lonely man. So, as far as I'm concerned with Logan, I have complete empathy for him because I understand where he's going and where he's coming from. And I, my only feeling about him was, you know, just let it go. You know, let it go. Just realize that we will get better, we will evolve, but it won't happen in our lifetime. You were mentioning... Logan and yourself, you are also a self-made man. You both are Dundee boys because the writers wrote that he was also from Dundee. Yeah, the writers wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started on the writers, please. Uh, the writers. We appreciate the writers. Well, no, let me tell you about that. So we start the show, and I'm. It's a phone, uh, telephone call on the one that's pitched to me. So uh, Jesse Armstrong rings up and, and Adam McKay rings up and we have this long conversation. And I know this show is going to be a hit. I just know it. I could feel it because it's very much in the line of those great schlocky shows. This isn't a schlocky one like Dallas and Dynasty and all of that. And people love those family sagas. So I knew it was going to be a hit. So, and I said to Jesse at the time, first conversation, I said, you know, he could be Scots. He could come from a Scottish background. Oh, no, 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 he's got to be American. He's got to be, he, he has to be American. And I thought, oh, I, I see you're doing a critique of America here. I, okay, fine, I'll, but then Adam McKay, who is of Scottish extraction way, way back, he said, oh, I think that's a good idea that he could be Scots. So, he, and, and, he's, and Jesse said, no, he's got to come from the States. He's got to be from the United States. So, we have that first episode, the pilot, 
and it's my birthday. And Peter uh, Friedman announces that I am born in Quebec, Canada. <laughs> now, I've been playing American, but not a Canadian, because I don't think Jesse's geography was very good. <laughs> so, so anyway, so I said, okay, that's, that's it. The ninth, ep the ninth episode of the first series. We've done nine episodes. <laughs> so Peter Friedman comes up to me and he said, oh, Brian, he said, uh, they've changed your birthplace. And I said, well, what do you mean they've changed my birthplace? He said, oh, you're, you're no longer born in Quebec. I said, so where am I born? He said, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> he said, oh, hang on. He, he took out his device and he said, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, somewhere called... Dundee, Scotland. And I said, but that's where I was born. And he said, oh, that's a coincidence. <laughs> I said, yeah, it's a hell of a fucking coincidence. I said, and, I, and then I went up to Jesse and I said, Jesse, what goes? I'm now from Dundee. And this is what he said. We thought it'd be a little surprise. I said, it's a hell of a fucking surprise. <laughs> For nine episodes, I've been playing this character from... Quebec, even though it wasn't from Quebec, it was from the United States, and now you make him a Dundonian. So that's how he became right, a Dundonian. Yeah. One of the excellent things that the writers do do is that they always leave a little bit of mystery. We don't know oh, everything. No, we no that's, the great, of, yeah. that's the great thing about the writing. But we do know that Logan had a difficult background, and I was saying about yourself, I mean, your father died when you were eight your mother struggled with mental health issues, and you money was not abundant in your home, and no. you took yourself into acting. And as you mentioned, you're disappointed, but you call your background your superpower. Yeah. Can you explain? Well, it's just that it's my roots. You know, we all have roots, and we should value our roots. It's, and our roots doesn't mean that it locks us. Actually, our roots means that we grow, and we can grow in all kinds of different directions. I mean, I, I've been living in America now for the last 20 odd years and I only went there because I wanted to do movies you know um, and in a class structure like the UK in a feudal system it's very hard I mean I could play Scotsman or I could play dinner but I couldn't play you know that's the great thing about American cinema is it's very egalitarian in its outlook so I thought I'd go there and I went there and it was it was great that was a decision I made but I always go back. I still go back. London, for me, represents freedom because I went to London when I was a kid, a student, in the 60s. Now, the 60s was the time of social mobility when anybody can come from any class and you were welcomed. And that was what happened to me. And I had the best time. I mean, the 60s, it was the best time ever. It was the Beatles, it was the Rolling Stones, the Who, it was the whole thing was happening. So it was a very extraordinary and exciting time. But it's gone, it's over, and it's not. Now, somebody from my class, my background, cannot have the pathway into the theater that I could have. I mean, most of these, uh, most of the, and I don't, I don't dish it, but all the public schools, like Harrow, like Eton, uh, they all have these wonderful state-of-the-art theaters. So they produce actors like Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, Eddie Redmayne, Dominic West. This is fine. I've got nothing against that. But there is no outlet for somebody of my class, where I came from. And I really, really res resent that, mm -hmm. actually. Yeah. Something to do something about. Well, um, thank you. Thank you.
As we were saying, Jesse Armstrong and the writers, they sprinkle in some backstory. We see that Logan has welts on his back. Mm. There's been abuse. We know some things have been up with Roman. Is there a question that you yourself are dying to have answered that they haven't answered for you? No, I've, I've provided my own answers. Mm. I don't need their answers, quite honestly. I mean, they, 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 they paint it in, and that's great. And then it's up to me. You know, I do the work. I do their work, but I do my work as well. And my work is layering in what his history is. And so if you wanted a history of Logan, okay. Logan left Scotland and there was a form of kinder transport which took kids that, at the time of the Second World War and they took kids to Canada. As a baby, he went to Canada and he spent the first most of the war in Canada uh, and then longer because his mother had, something had happened to his mom. I actually, I think something had happened to his father and then his mother followed and then, his, and then he had his sister. And then he came, he spent this very abusive time in Canada and finally he came back to Scotland and worked at one of the local papers in Dundee because it's a big, it's a big Dundee is known for its three, they call it three J's, jute, jam and journalism. Marmalade was created in Dundee. You know, that's, I don't know if you knew that, but it's oh. true. Uh, and, uh, and journalism it was a very journalist town. So he went back and he worked as a journalist. And then he became, and he was probably quite ideal. He probably had a lot of ideals when he was young, as, as we do. But then time and tide and the abuse that he suffered kind of distorted him. He went in a different direction. And he became more and more alienated. And then he became more and more powerful at the same time. So he's sort of estranged himself. He's a lonely man. Wow, you have a full backstory. Well, that's yeah. the fucking that's job, darling. Yes. That's, that's the whole point of being... I mean, you don't have to do what... You know, you don't have to kind of methodize it in a way, oh, I have to suffer every time I walk on the fucking set. You know, you don't have to do that. But you do layer it in. You do say, well, these are the... These are the pole, these are the, the marker points, and you 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 take a string and you put the string through those markers. That's what you do. Okay. And he loves his children desperately. He loves his children. The stupid man. Mm -hmm. Why would he love that fucking bunch? You know? <laughs> but he does. He loves them, and he loves them in a way that he can't express. And that's that's the other tragedy of. Logan, because love was never expressed to him. He can't express love. So his relationship with his, with his various partners over the years always ends disastrously because he can't, he can't fully commit his soul or his heart to them, and that's his problem. Yeah. Is there anyone in particular that he, you think is most difficult for him with his children or that he would like to see succeed? But Well, I think he wanted Sinead. You know, but she's, I mean, she's morally bankrupt, you know, as we just saw, you know, and they're lying there going, oh, you know, and I thought, oh, God, I couldn't, it was very hard to watch that scene, uh, you know, because I just think it's, it's brilliant. I mean, that's the thing about the writing. It's a, it's a brilliant examination of the human experience. It really is. And you see the frustration in that scene and her sadness and how she's got to that state. But it's of her own doing. She, because of her own ambition, you know. Yeah. She was fine until she came back into the family. She was actually doing rather well. But as soon as he said to her, 
oh, I think there's a possibility that you could take it on. And that immediately distorted her. But we talk a lot about generational trauma in this series. Can he see that? What do you mean by general? That he he suffered trauma in the hands of yeah. his father. They suffered trauma. Yeah, them. they do. But also, the, the, the other point is, I, I take that point, but the thing is, <laughs> what I realize, what I've realized through life, is that you can't blame your parents. You can see certain things and say, oh, that my, my, my dad didn't do this, or my mom didn't do that. But ultimately, uh, there is a point when all bets are off. When you're about 21 on, it's up to you. Sort the fucking thing out and get on with it, you know. And I think that's where, that, that's where a lot of people get, thank you, more of that, thank you. <laughs> uh, that's where I think we get trapped, that we, we, we immediately, and, and of course we can't, like a bad habit, that we go, well, it's because there's a great, in uh, West Side Story, there's the uh, song, G. Officer Krupke, you mm -hmm. know the song? And there's the line, I am depraved on the count, I'm, I'm deprived. deprived. <laughs> and it's bullshit. <laughs> but it's great bullshit. And it is partly true, partly true, but it's not the whole story. We are human beings. We can be responsible for what we do. And that's the problem. We are not responsible enough for what we do. If we th thought about that responsibility, life would be different. But Roman just wants a little bit of love from his father. <laughs> oh, Roman, and Roman would get a little bit of love, but he's got a potty mouth, you know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the thing about Roman is that he, actually, interestingly enough, of all the children who really should succeed, in many ways, it is Roman. Mm -hmm. Because he's the one who had sorted out the Middle Eastern money. He's the one who knew what a fallacy was. He's got, he's really got his father gifts. But he's got this, but he's, he's stunted, you know, he's a, He's a child boy. He's not quite grown up, and he and he's not prepared to grow up. He's not prepared to let go and make that leap into being an adult, and that's his that's his tragedy. I mean, they're they're all quite tragic as figures. They really are. I mean, uh, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> well, you saw it, didn't you? I mean. There he is trying. But to... But Tom really, he, he I mean, last ended last season by really going. Well, do you blame him? No, I don't. So no, exactly. I mean, I mean and, and, and he's, he's this innocent from Minnesota who came into the family not knowing what the hell was going on with, with Shiv. And, that, and they were, that was fine at that point, but then the whole succession bit hadn't come into place. But that must impress Logan. And then there's Nick, uh, I mean, there's, uh, uh, what's he called? Nick Braun. Greg, cousin Greg, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Because in the first episode, I keep calling him Craig. Yes. Because I get his name wrong. Yeah, Greg. Nick. Now, he's an idiot. Uh, <laughs> and, but, he's, but, he's, but he's because, again, he's neglected. Mm. And there's something very deeply neglected about him. <laughs> and, and that is. And he's got to make a big journey. He might be the spin-off, actually, if they do a spin-off. And then there's Connor. Now, Connor is clearly suffering from sort of mild autism in some, you know, he's really in a very, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to prove it. And he has, he does suffer from neglect. And he also suffers from a broken marriage and all mm -hmm. that with the family. Uh, and he's plowing his own kind of wacky furrow <laughs> with his strange partner. And then we've got Shiv. And Shiv, when she was 
she was fine, she was great, until the succession question arose. And then it all started to go wrong for her. And then we've got, oh, yeah. But Kendall puts up a fight. I mean, Kendall well, Kendall protects uh, Roman. Kendall is the one who can really say... You no, know, Kendall, Kendall is the, the, the sort of the soulful one in many ways. But he's too fucking soulful, you know. <laughs> he really is... He's not able to... He's not able to discipline himself. You know, he's, he's an addict. You know, he has been an addict. You know, you could blame all that on the father, but as I say, they're grown-ups, for Christ's sake. <laughs> you know, they're not kids. All bets are off. Moving on, I know that you have advisors on the show um, to sort of tell you how the rich live. And I know, n- not in terms of power, or buying banks or things, but what's the weirdest thing you have learned about what the rich do day to day? You've watched them in unforgettable adventures love affairs and tragedies now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories from the makers of death of a rock star and death of a sports star this is death of a film star starring heath ledger marilyn monroe chadwick boseman robin williams carrie fisher and bruce lee Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Well, I think that's nonsense. You know, I mean, the rich should just do whatever they want to do, you know. I mean, the thing that I remember they said to me, oh, they never wear overcoats in cars. I said, fuck that, I'm wearing an overcoat. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a nonsense. You know, they come out with these advisors, the idea that there's a sort of code that rich people follow. They don't know any different. They don't know any more than we do, you know. The fact that they don't wear overcoats in cars. I mean, maybe one rich man didn't wear an overcoat, and one advisor <laughs> saw that and thought, oh, I see, they don't wear overcoats in cars. <laughs> so you don't believe in, in these advisors, I understand. But I do art- not believe in advisors. <laughs> Art is the mirror to the world, you can say. And, and billionaires will be billionaires. I mean, 92-year-old Rupert Murdoch is getting married for the I fifth know. time. The I banks know. are collapsed. Well, look at that. I mean, just look at Rupert Murdoch yeah. trying to get married again. I mean, he's 92. I mean, he's knocking on the door, you know. I mean, hopefully this will finally kill him off. Yeah. <laughs> well, it could. <laughs> But the banks are collapsing. Trump is trumping. In your view, what does succession say about the state of things in the world? Well, it reflects exactly what's going on. I mean, that's the, it's a social satire. That's what the show is. It's a social satire that didn't want it to be more satirical than it was. But in, interestingly enough, Jesse's better than a satirist. He's also a dramatist uh, of the first order. And so that the, the sense of what human beings are, the truth of what beings are, human beings are, is what he's tackling with in every time he writes an episode of this show. And that's his great gift. So it's not just cut and dried social, but also there is, a, there is an element of polemic that runs through it in terms of how, how he feels the world has got worse and worse and worse because of 
the Trumps and the Murdochs and the way the rich behave. I did a, because of the show, I had, I, I, I was getting a very, uh, I was getting to a state where I felt, you know, I, you know, because if you're, you know, getting, if you're in yachts in Dubrovnik and living in the hugest house in Italy, you know, it, it kind of affects you after a while. You kept thinking, well, hang on, Brian, just, you know, get perspective on it. And I decided I wanted to do a documentary about the wealth gap. So I did a thing called How the Other Half Lives. Because it's, and what I've discovered was that the gap between the rich and poor is getting huge and huge and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the rich are more and more uncaring about what's happening. And so therefore our world is, in a, as the great Irish playwright Sean O'Casey said, in a terrible state of chassis, <laughs> chaos. Mm -hmm. You were mentioning before about this is the Brits and the Americans and the difference between cinema and the writing here. We have an incredible combination of, of Brits and Americans, and that's what really makes it so good, yeah, what yeah. Jesse Armstrong brought over to think. What about in terms of the acting? You're a whole bunch of, you know, from here, you're a whole bunch from the States. What is the difference for you? Well, the, the actors are very good. I mean, the actors are very good. I mean, they really are wonderful actors. And they've all, you know, they've all had a tough time, you know, proving themselves. I mean, Kieran, you know, did this great film called Digby Goes Down. And Wonderful. he's had a rough time, you know, on the whole. And this has been his renaissance. And to show, I mean, he's... You mean getting more roles after? Well, and, and becoming more into the popular demand, you know. I mean, when we started the show, you know, we get these alts, what they call alternate lines, where suddenly, I won't, I won't do them. You know, <laughs> I'm not interested. But they bring in these alternate lines, and, and it's basically because they're essentially comedy writers. Now, Kieran was handed two alternate lines in the first series, in one episode, and he practically had a hissy fit because he was completely panicked by this because he'd never done anything. He'd never improvised before in his life. He can now do five pages of alternate lines, oh, wow. which is what he's learned to do over six episodes. So he's developed extraordinarily as an actor. Matthew is, is already a fine actor. And the great gift that Matthew, that he has, and I so envy him, is he keeps his mouth shut. <laughs> and that, I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm too old for that anyway. And uh, Nick... Nick's interesting. He's very ambitious, but he's also very tall. Yes, yes. <laughs> Does that uh, make it difficult? Or? Well, you know, it's, it's, it, it, you know he, he, he confided in me. He said, I don't want to be remembered as Cousin Greg. Well. <laughs> and I understand yeah. that. And I said, Nick, you won't be. You're a young man. You're going to be going on and doing other stuff. You're going to write stuff. You're going to create stuff. Don't worry about it. I mean, he's loved it. He's loved it. And it's given him... You know, it's given him a profile, but I can understand why he would say that. Alan Rock, Alan Rock is one of the most nicest, proper, really fine actors, and who's got a real, you know, he's, he's a lot older than, by the way, he, he appears in the show, but he's just incredibly centered as an individual. And, you know, he's been through it, and he's had, and he's, he's nicely cynical about it all. And Sarah is one of the most extraordinary talents ever. That girl is so talented. Uh, she's, uh, she's from Australia, and she's going to be back. I mean, the sad thing about Sarah is that 
She didn't know the show was ending. I know, we read that. She didn't find that out. I mean, I knew ages ago it was ending, but she didn't know that until the last Did they week. forgot to call her, or well, she's too far no, away? It's, no, it's really? just typical English stuff. Where, and we won't tell them. It'll be fine. We'll get there in the... <laughs> Bollocks. Anyway, and Jeremy. Jeremy Strong. He is a fantastic actor. He truly is a fantastic actor. He really, he really is. Uh, and uh, he's got a wonderful Danish wife. Mm -hmm. And he's spending a lot more time in Denmark, where I think he should spend a lot more time in Denmark, really, because it gives him... No, I'm serious. It gives him a perspective. America's difficult. It's a difficult country. And it's a country because there's so much illusion going on in America, and there's so much that teases you in a way. And he's... Because of his craft, and because he's so good at his craft, he's tried to balance that out. I mean, he's had three daughters throughout the whole show. He's, you, can you, you can measure his daughters by each episode <laughs> we've done. And he's dear. He's a very sweet guy. He really is a very nice guy. But he does... I used to just worry about him. I just kept thinking, you don't need to do that, Jeremy. You're so talented. You don't need to put yourself through that hell. But his problem was... He was Daniel Day-Lewis's assistant. And Daniel Day-Lewis does oh, all of that plus 10. And, uh, but the thing about Daniel Day-Lewis, he, he retired at 55. That's only when the roles are getting better. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe we can, we can get him to come back. He won't. Let's talk about this episode that we just saw. Logan is really in an existential crisis, it seems. He's asking for the cardinal. He takes his driver out and calls his best pal and mm -hmm. is asking about death. Were you expecting this? No, I, I wasn't expecting that. I just thought it was... I mean, again, Jesse always surprises you, and he comes up with his stuff. And the relationship with Colin, you know, I've always felt strongly about the relationship with Colin because it's an unspoken relationship and there's, there's no demands that are made. He's always been, you know, he's not, he's, not, he's not trying to get anything. Everybody's trying to get something, you know, from Logan. And Colin isn't. And I think, yeah, he's his best pal because he's just, he's a simple guy who's demanded nothing. And he's been there, but he's been a constant in Logan's life. And that's all Logan wants, is somebody who's constant, somebody who sticks by him and doesn't jump ship, as a lot of people do. You know. But he feels very lonely. He's an extremely lonely man. He really is. He's, he's a rather tragic individual, Logan. You know, he, he really is. And uh, he's so unresolved in so many areas. You know. And that's, what's, that's, why I, 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 that's why I have great empathy for him. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was interesting because um, Jeremy Strong says at the beginning of the, or Kendall, of course, at the beginning of the episode that, you know, I've, I've taken horse. I need something to really keep me going. He has to keep busy. He wants this yeah. deal. He wants yeah. to fuck over his father, basically. Yeah. And it's basically the same thing that you sort of feel that Logan is doing, that he really needs, he's so sad. But then once this deal starts coming, yeah, yeah. you hear that the kids are fucking him over. He gets in there. That, the one thing he understands and the thing that's most important to him is the thing he created, which is his business, it's his career. That's absolutely the thing that's so important to Logan. And that's the thing that, that keeps him going. I mean, he really, 
wants, he really loves his business. He really, you know, he's given his whole life to the creation and the, the furtherment of Waystar Royco. That's his, that's his thing, you know. I mean, and I think he's not been a good father. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's a good father because, because he's, a, he's not there for his children a lot of the time. But then it's his business that has taken priority. But would he trust it with them? Will he trust the business with them? With them? Yeah. No, because they're coming for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. They're coming for all the reasons that are not rooted in a, in a, in a kind of reality. It's, reoted, it's in a sort of fantasy world. And I think that's the problem. But he can't do anything about it. He, he simply can't do anything about it. He just has to sit and watch. I mean, he, 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 you know, we saw at the end of three when the kids, you know, he's very clever. And when he says, I fucking win, I mean, it's not about that he wins. It's that he wins on behalf of the business. I'm not going to have my business thrown into disarray by you, which is why he picks Tom, which is why he knows when Tom helped him during the whole UTI thing, you know, and, and uh, mm -hmm. he had this UTI, he was the only one who took him to the toilet. I mean, his kids were all laughing at him. And Tom... And he called I, him a son. And Tom, yeah. And, he, and, he, and suddenly he... And that's, that's the thing about Logan. That's what kind of makes me cry about Logan, is that when he gets a bit of kindness, he's so grateful. He's so grateful that somebody is... It doesn't happen too often because he doesn't get all the But kindness. that works the other way around, too, because when the kids get a little bit of kindness, that's when they start to come. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. But he doesn't understand that. No. <laughs> um, I just... Before I move on, I just... Because one actor we haven't talked about and since we're here in Sweden, Alexander Skarsgård. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I love Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah. Um, no, he's fantastic. I mean... What I love about Alexander, he comes from a lineage, of, you know, a theater lineage with his dad and his yeah. brother and everything else. But he's so grounded. He is so grounded. And he's, so, I mean, he's been such a, he's been such a, an, a, a great thing for the show to have him there. And he's, he's a wonderful actor, Alexander. And he's, he's a really, really nice man. He's very centered. And it's, it's interesting because he does come from this theatrical family, but he's so grounded as an actor and as a guy as well. And, uh, and he's great in the show, absolutely great. I mean, my, again, one of my most favorite episodes was the episode in Lake Coma with him, you know. And also... When Roman and Logan go to... Yeah, and, he all, and Logan also recognizes something of himself in, in Alexander. Yeah, it feels like Matson could be... Someone that Logan... Yeah, I think Matson is... I can't tell you anything, but uh, there are certain things that could be possible. <laughs> I know you can't tell us, but does Logan Roy get the ending fit of one of the most iconic TV personalities ever, in your opinion? I think he gets the ending fit. Yeah, I do. I think he gets the only ending fit for him. You know, and that's... And it's, it's fine. It's fine. I, you see, I was very... When they said the, the, I knew that the show needed to come to a point. I mean, a lot of these American shows, I mean, the, 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 the great thing about the British writing tradition is they know when to stop. They know when to get out when the party's at the best. The Yanks, no <laughs> fucking <you>. idea. <laughs> and well, it's not so much the writers, it's the producers, it's the people who run the companies. They want more and more and more and more and more. And you get to a point like, the disastrous end of the Game of Thrones, 
which I was addicted to. <laughs> I loved the Game of Thrones. I used to watch it. And then they made this beautiful girl into the villain, and I thought, where the fuck has that come from? <laughs> you know? I mean, and then it kind of, I don't know, I just ended. Everybody complained. I mean, that, that was the great thing. The audience was so united on the fact that they'd sold out on the ending of the Game of Thrones. Jesse would never let that happen. And that's what I love about, that's why I admire Jesse uh, beyond measure. I admire Jesse Armstrong because he's got this rigor to make the show complete. He's not into infinite television. He's into finite television. And this is, of course, a very hypothetical question, but two Dundee boys, um, if you would meet Logan Roy, what would you tell him? Well, first of all, Logan Roy wouldn't speak to me. No, he wouldn't. He would think I was a big mouth, charlatan, idiot. No, he'd tell you to go... Oh, he'd tell me to go fuck myself. <laughs> no, he would tell me to go fuck myself, and um, I won't do that. But... Uh, <laughs> No, I would, I, I, there's no way, I mean, Logan would not, uh, you know, you, sometimes when you meet people and, you know, you get enthusiastic and then you find yourself talking too much and you can feel the energy going out of the room because you are, and that's a problem that I have. <laughs> and that's what a problem that Logan would pick up and think, oh, this fucking idiot, I don't know what <laughs> to do with him. But what would you tell him? I mean, if he would listen. Oh, if he would listen, I would tell him, I'd say, don't love your children too much. I don't think he does, does he? Too much? No, he does love his children. That's his problem. I say, like them more, love them less. And there is a difference between liking and loving. And sometimes we get that mixed up. You know, because love can burn out. Liking doesn't burn out so much. You are going to play Johann Sebastian Bach. I am, yeah. Talk about that. Now, I'm going to play Bach. I mean, I'm the most unmusical person in the world. I mean, I can't play any instrument, so it's complete fake. Uh, but his dilemma is what's interesting, because, and it's very much redolent of what's happening now with, you know, Frederick the Great is a bit like who Putin is now. He was a warmonger, you know, he, he liked war. And Bach was an artist. He just wanted to do his work. And Frederick wanted him to be part of his group of composers that he had. And Bach had to find a way to avoid that, not to get entrapped into that. And that's what the play is about. It's called The Score. Well, we can't wait. And um, Mr. Cox, thank you so much for everything. Thank you for this character and playing this icon. And we're going to miss you so much. Um, we're going to miss this show so much. And now you can tell us all to fuck off. Yeah, you can all fuck off now. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.